we have something that they call heavy trash pickup. You have heavy trash pickup in your neck of the woods? We can call an order and they'll come and pick up a couch or a, you know an extra kid or whatever else we stick on the curb. Wow, that's fancy living. I mean, yeah. you, you guys have like composting or you, you, you folks have like composting up there, right? Do you have that as well? Uh, no, I just got the usual 15 trash cans or whatever we have to do now for <laughs> cycling and uh-huh. uh, yard waste, and uh, it's too much. Well, that that reminds me. I was I was in I was in London last week for a DevOps, and then we'll get back to the heavy trash uh, the heavy trash pickup. You know, the scintillating topics. I was in DevOps in London for DevOps Days London, and I met an old friend of mine there. And we, uh, of all places, he chose to meet at a Whole Foods, which is. Which is <laughs> delightful and interesting. It's funny we went in there, and I was like, "So do they have any like uh, regional specials or anything?" And mm-hmm. and he said, "No." <laughs> and so so sh- they actually did have like I think a uh, a type of sausage that was British. You know, you ever eat like a British sausage and it tastes a little more organy than uh, sausagey? Mm-hmm. I think I read once that there's some regulations about that. But anyways, uh, so we were at Whole Foods and we were done with our meal, and then they of course you know kind of. Um, what was the movie? Not Judge Dredd, but what's the one where Sylvester Stallone goes into the future and they've got the three clam system? I I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So the recycling yeah. nowadays is like a is like a three clam system, right? And uh, they, of course, at Whole Foods, they have this, and I've I've encountered this elsewhere. So maybe you know the answer, Richard. But if listeners mm-hmm. also know the answer, so you got you'll have standard recycling, which is straightforward, mm-hmm. and then there's something I guess compost. And right. then and then they have this other category. Every now and then you're lucky and it's just landfill and you're like, got it, right? Like right. whatever doesn't make sense, put in there. But then it's, at Whole Foods, I forget what it was labeled, but it was something like, you know, complex recycling or something. <laughs> but but the, the thing is sometimes you get this three-can system and it doesn't say mm-hmm. just like landfill. And so I never know what to do with like I just had – a brown paper carton that I had my uh, my British sausage and other stuff in. It's some lovely tofu they had there, and so mm. it's like covered in food. And I don't know, do I put that in the recycling or or where do I put that? Because like here in Austin, you're not supposed to. Not that I would ever do this, but you're sure. not supposed to take a cardboard pizza box and put that in the recycling because it's got food on it in theory, right? Mm. Um, so like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this three can system if there's not like a straight up landfill. And and there's no. never there's never a brochure. No, maybe you get like a picture on it. But between hotel showers and recycling, there's nothing more humbling to me. Where you're just <laughs> standing there, like I'll be at the pivotal office, staring there for like 30 seconds, going, I don't know where to put this thing mm. in this trash. Then you just kind of mail it in and, and stick it in the, the the landfill trash. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel like a terrible person, but it's very tricky. Yeah. The, the, so if if anyone is in the uh, the waste management business out there, you should start having some brochures with it. But you're right about hotel showers, man. I was I was in the uh, you know if you if you go to London, yeah, I, I recommend the uh, the Sheraton Grand Park or something. It's right there on uh, Piccadilly. Is that how they mm-hmm. say that, or is that like sure. my Arkansas grandmother pronouncing it? And uh, it's it's just like the southeast corner of Hyde Park and some other park. It's lovely. Not not too pricey, but they had one of those European showers where there's it's got the temperature and then it's got like also the the the, the handle for the the water and mm-hmm. the temperature one you got to push a button down and and you set that and then and then the water one I, you can tell I had to figure this out like one way is like your hand wand and the other way is your uh, your uh, shower shower as we would call it over here <laughs> and man oh, yeah. what a system. 
No, we need a national conversation on, on showers. I mean, how are we allowing every hotel to do this differently? Have you ever called the front desk and asked for help? I've come close. Oh, no, I, I don't even I don't even order a pot of coffee in the morning because I just I don't want to face anyone. <laughs> so I would never do that. And, and then and then someone comes to your room and you're like, do I got to tip oh. this guy? Do I tip this person? What, right, what, exactly. what do I do here? Yeah, that, that's awful. My wife tells me and then we'll get back to to heavy trash pickup. My wife tells me that you can order a pot of coffee delivered in the morning and left at your door. Which um, that sounds like some kind of paradise I just haven't experienced yet. Seems like a fire hazard. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. So the heavy trash pickup. I guess if you don't have this, let me just tell you a phenomena that happens that I think is fascinating because it's kind of like a little game, and then we'll get on to some computer stuff. But uh, so you put all your heavy trash out, and it takes them about a week to come collect it. And then the weekend before, there's these big pickup trucks with trailers that come cruising around, and they sort through your stuff, kind of like in our mutual friend. If you ever read that. And uh, it's interesting to see what they pick up. Like, we put three ceiling fans out there. And what they did, I don't know who they is, but what the, pe- <laughs> the, the people did is they, they came and they broke the blades off of the fans and they took the motor unit. And I assume, one, that's because it fits, and two, maybe they take the blades off or they just get the copper wire out of it. I don't know. It's The, uh, mm. the, the scavenging business is fascinating. Mm-hmm. But, but so far, perfectly good TV stand from Ikea. No one's taken that. I'm looking at it right now. Yep, yep. I haven't taken that. <laughs> that that and some fan blades. I mean, that's a that's a sad short story, right? Yeah, there. yeah. Broken fan blades. So the, <laughs> good to no one. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. It's been a while since we recorded. You've been traveling a lot. Speaking of hotel yeah. showers, and I think I think uh, the last major thing you were at was was the big old VMworld confab. That was week before last, right? Right in Vegas, it was only 106, so it cooled off a bit. <laughs> Man, I haven't been there in a long time. They they still doing all right there? They got all those shows. Yeah, all the shows. I tell you, it's B list uh, heaven out there. Yeah, if you've ever had a career, you can get yourself a show. Yeah, huh? huh. I, I I've narrowly avoided going to Orlando recently too, which I'm happy about. But yeah, so- I did Orlando and Vegas in the month of August. I, I make poor choices. Oof. Yeah, it's soupy out there. So we <laughs> I, we we had some uh, some pretty big announcements we haven't really talked about here. So we had the mm-hmm. uh, Pivotal Container Service, PKS, because I guess you know it's actually like the Pivotal Kubernetes Service. I I don't know. It's just funny. That's how that's how Google yeah, made stuff, mean, right? Right. Google did the same thing. So we uh, we somewhat copied that. And yeah, it was a big announcement. I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but it was definitely I think the announcement of the show. The things that folks were talking about well afterwards as well. So. Uh, yeah, great to, great way to continue to expand the Pivotal portfolio. So yeah, we'll gab about that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then there was also uh, an announcement. I think the other the other at least for my my money speaking of Vegas. There was also I think VMware continued uh moving its 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 what do you call it? VCloud Air onto uh, AWS, which uh which was uh, interesting for our area. And uh yeah. So so I, like we should probably go over that as the main body of stuff. But but mm-hmm. uh in addition to that, I didn't notice this till uh, you were sharing these things earlier, but there's actually like two little studies on topic of Kubernetes and uh, container usage. I think right. the first one is more like an abstract. I briefly looked at the methodology, but over there at uh, over there at Redmonk, I think uh, like uh, uh, Fintar, as as his Twitter handle is, he mm-hmm. uh, he gave a summary of a little study they were doing. And it looks like the way that they went over it is they kind of scanned some major companies about who they were hiring and questions they were asking, sort of interest that might be indicative of, of bigger use uh, across Fortune 100 companies. 
And it was saying that uh, that that Docker is being has penetration, if you will, uh, across like I don't know, maybe seventy one percent or so. I, I mean, I, I love it when there's a seventy one percent, but uh, you know, a little little trailing one there. But <laughs> then definitely that uh, there was a lot of interest about half of people in Kubernetes, and uh, and I think what was he saying that half? I, I forget the reading, but half of people, Fortune one hundred companies, were like indicated there was some kind of cloud foundry interest. I assume that's open source cloud foundry, you know, inclusive of the various distros like ours. Um, right. And then, and then I guess there was also like, he did some summary. He didn't go over all of this. It was a very brief post, some mm-hmm. summary of, um, of the publicly referenceable people, which I'm, I'm, uh, interpolating is that the right word that maybe he, he combined together a list of public references and sort of counted them there that like the majority of them were uh, cloud foundry references but mm-hmm. i mean the the main thing i think uh and, and then there's a second survey uh, from the cff which i think is a good commentary on this but you know stuff like this is good and helpful but it mm-hmm. is like strictly penetration thinking uh to use that term technically which is to say there's at least one instance of this happening it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, and probably more in these companies, obviously, but it doesn't right. necessarily mean like market share and dominance. It's just that some, so at least one one thing in there is uh, in- interested in it. Which, That's as long fair. as long as you have that temper across it, you know, because it would be a completely different thing if if we said across Fortune 100 companies, 71 percent of them use Docker as their core technology for doing everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that would be a much bigger statement than uh, just. Are, right. Are and I think, you know, you point out clearly, not, this doesn't say who's in production. And I would promise you, or I would get almost cl- be close to guaranteeing you that the cloud foundry usage in production, you know, dwarfs the others, mm. even Docker, even Kubernetes, just because from what we've, I think all experienced is that sometimes things stall out as you get closer to production because of different compliance reviews and things like that, that, you know, Kubernetes is great for incubating some things. And obviously, PKS is about helping you actually run this in production. So as you say, it's tough without really digging in and seeing, is this one departmental thing? Is this an organizational strategy? Is this what have you? I mean, goodness, I was thinking the other day, I don't think it's unreasonable to say there's more apps running in PCF in the Fortune 100 than there is on Amazon. Now, I say that only because some of the largest companies are deploying thousands of applications to PCF. And I don't know if those same numbers go into some of the public clouds. I'm making that up. I have no idea. But that wouldn't shock me. But again, it all depends on what level. Is this production? Is this staging? Is this development? Are people hacking around? You know, without digging in. But as you say, it's a trend thing. And either way, it's useful to see. Yeah. And and, and then I think there's a good... I, I mean, it seems like, well, hopefully, Red Monk will come out with a more extensive write-up on it. I mean, it was really just like 500, 800 words, which is fine. But uh, there, there was there was a... Now, now that I think of it, it's interesting. It was also a summary of a report, or, or at least a second part in an ongoing series from uh, our friends at the Cloud Foundry Foundation. And and I think theirs is uh, there's no need to really disclaim or explain their their <laughs> stuff because they spend a lot of time saying like ah these numbers are like provisional, not provisional, but these numbers are representative, and they explain uh, how how things are more about penetration and usage. And they also look at some other surveys uh, from people like Datadog and others, but. What's interesting about them is is they focus more on year over year growth, primarily right. by looking at people who are evaluating containers and are interested in them. And there is a big uptick in their uh, their survey base of, I think in 2016 there were there were 31 percent of people. There, there's that one again. 
Not not yeah. 35, not 30, 31%. No, we don't like round numbers. No way. <laughs> Anyways, so there are 30% of people evaluating it in 2016, evaluating containers, and that's gone up to uh, 42%, which for a year-over-year thing is uh, pretty big. I mean, in uh, I think I think in use, it just went from 22 to 25%, which which is right. nice. I don't know what their margin of error is, but, you know, it's small enough that it's not like, uh, uh, you know, big bonker stuff. But but that's that's also a good survey to kind of look at just to uh combine together with the overall one. And the overall like way I would file it over is like yet again these containers things seem to be a big deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, and, and I and I think I think this is even more even more so it's being meta about it. It's growth over the growth we've seen last year in surveys saying that they're a big deal, if if mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's right. uh, it's pretty Validating. solid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same reason. We, you know, look. I think we just saw the new Spring Boot numbers were like twenty two million or something silly for Spring Boot downloads. And is downloads a good metric? No. You know, it's not great. There's all sorts of edge things, but it's a trend line that says this was up from a million a couple of years ago. Clearly, there's a trajectory. And same with containers, same with Cloud Foundry, same with Kubernetes. There's a positive trajectory of these cloud native technologies, and that's a good thing. And if you're not using those, it's time to get a little bit nervous that you're actually being left behind. Yeah. And then and then so uh, did, did we announce these new tiles at VMworld or, or when was that done? They were all right around there. And so we're, you know, I think the family of uh, Dell Tech is starting to, to integrate a little better. So if you look in the Pivotal uh, marketplace now, you'll see things for the Elastic Cloud Storage, ECS, Dell Boomi, VMware Wavefront. And so if you're a Pivotal Cloud Foundry customer and you like using S3 compatible storage, but in your data center, then you're probably already looking at ECS or using it, great. If you like doing iPASI stuff, if we go to the Gartner definitions of things, the so integration paths, like I want to connect SaaS system A to SaaS system B. Del Boomi is the industry leader for that. There's a really actually sophisticated tile for PCF to actually build out VMs with the integration components. Pretty cool stuff. Mm. And then Wavefront was something VMware bought back in the spring, acquired it. And now they've integrated. It's kind of a application performance monitoring, some pretty cool correlation capabilities in there. So you can extract data from the PCF nozzle, whatever, the log regator, all that log information, pull it into Wavefront, and do some cool analytics, which they actually showed it, uh, showed off Wavefront a bit at VMworld. I was, I was pretty impressed. So Wavefront. all of those are now tiles. So what, is, what does Wavefront do? It's like application performance monitoring. So oh, it's looking okay, for okay. data points and helping you pinpoint problems. I know. I'm getting it confused with WaveMaker, which was this uh, this like in-browser rad application thing from, I don't know, amazing. the late 2000s. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. And uh, I think, I think, man, I, I, I want him. Now I should go look this up. I, I remember, I remember someone bought it and maybe got sold to someone else. Or hmm. good times. Anyhow, so so then uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we we were talking about scheduling one of our uh, security people on to come talk about the yeah. uh, the Equifax data breach. But it, it was it was I feel I feel like I feel like well, first of all, what's what's the summary of that? And then I'll I'll add my uh, John Madden commentary to it. Yeah, I mean, it looks like with Equifax, which obviously is a big player in the kind of the credit space, is that there was giant breach of what was it, like 143 something million people might be impacted. And some was credit card information, some was personal information. Definitely not good. A lot of information kind of leaking out. It's not all real definitive yet. It's not like this happened in July and they just announced it here in early September that it happened. And, you know, looks like it may have been tied to unpatched environments, but some of that's going back and forth. So again, 
think it's it's an area for not just doing hot takes on blaming certain things. I think the only thing you blame is Equifax for not properly securing their environment, whether they were using bad tech or whether they're using old tech or whether you're just using tech wrong. It falls on you as a business if you're collecting customer data to protect it. And so not good, not good stuff at all. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe we'll uh, we'll 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 have someone on to talk about that in more detail, and then you know, well, not in more detail, but use that as context to talk about more uh, yeah. security things. But it is interesting. I, I think uh, I think it's the first instance that like my my uh, my non nerd associates in my life were more up to date mm-hmm. on it than I am. So whatever whatever notification news coverage stuff people have you know our our, our little society of news has put in place, it's it's effective. It's uh, it's it's reaching well, the, it's- the normals. Yeah. And, you know, there's one for a lot of us that, you know, can, yeah, can reach close to home because it might impact us all personally with this. And, you know, patching stuff, I think a lot of CIOs probably woke up today saying our number one priority needs to be making sure our customer facing Internet systems are patched. The problem is, even if you do heroics and do all of that in the next week, you're going to have to do it again the week after because this stuff never stops. You have to rethink how you secure enterprise and it'll be a good conversation for us to have. Yeah. And then uh, and then finally. There's uh there's some Kafka news that you put in here. What's what's that about? So Kafka released this K-SQL capability, open source streaming SQL for Kafka. I think they did this at their Kafka summit. And really the idea is how do you analyze data in flight? So traditional data solutions is kind of the data sits there and your queries always change, right? You're issuing different queries against your data. In the more complex event processing world, it's always been you actually deploy the query and the data washes over it. So the query is kind of static. And the data changes. So this is a similar-ish model where you're actually deploying queries and you might be looking for anomalies, you might be looking for different things, doing windowing, which is cool, saying, hey, I'm looking for accounts for the next five minutes in like time period stuff. So as data flows through the streaming engine, you can actually issue some SQL-like queries against the data. So cool technology, cool capability. I think, again, it just drives home that event-driven architecture and processing data in real time is clearly something a lot that's on the minds of a lot of tech vendors, but obviously clearly on customers who who don't want to just do kind of day after month after analytics. They need to be analyzing this stuff as it happens. So you know, obviously, by the way, I uh, prompted you to talk about that. I don't really know much at all about Kafka, but it does seem like someone needs to do some surveys about how popular that is because it seems like that's uh, that's sort. Of, is this true? That's like the data thing i don't know what to call this stuff anymore the uh, no sql is that is that a thing uh but that's the thing that's that com- thing. there you go that's the thing that like seems to come up the uh, the most pretty much all the time so it seems extremely popular that's fair they have a ton of mind share in the mm. space i mean there's you know obviously things like RabbitMQ can do virtually any pattern you can do in kafka it's still about messaging and transferring data and, and real-time processing there's different architectures of course but the use cases can be very similar or things like Amazon Kinesis do the same thing, or Azure Event Hub. So there's all sorts of things in this space, but you know the Kafka team and Confluent in general have done a great job of kind of taking up some of the uh, the public space and, and sharing what's going on here. And and how is it is it popular off there in uh, .NET Microsoft land, or do they have their own analog thing that everyone's everyone's uh, all hooting tooting about? Yeah, it doesn't really. I mean, there's brokers and there's endpoints and SDKs and things that are a little .NET friendly, but it's traditionally been a more Linux-centric environment tool and open source tool. So I think that's where you're looking at things that Azure offers or Microsoft's ESB product, Enterprise Service Bus product. So I think it's been a little later coming to this. Actually, Microsoft had a complex event process engine Stream Insight years ago. I think it's still technically around, but not maintained. They actually did this sort of thing 
in a neat way and actually shipped with SQL Server. It was just arguably ahead of its time. So mm. Microsoft folks are, are probably catching up to this versus being uh, right on it with things like Kafka. Yeah, you reminded me. I, 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 maybe this is like four or five years ago. Like there were all, all the uh, all the big vendors were talking about like streams and data streams mm-hmm. and stuff. And and I could never I could never figure out like what the use cases for it were. They would just talk about like how uh, how quickly they could consume and do stuff with streams of data. So right, you know, very popular at the time. Well, yeah. So uh, so then on to the VM world stuff. So you were actually mm-hmm. there. You gave a presentation. I was. How was I how did. was the uh, how how was the show? How was it? That was one of the biggest conferences I've been at. It had like twenty three thousand people or something like that. I mean, besides Dreamforce, which is like a festival and has like a hundred thousand people, but never all in the same place. So when you're sitting in an announcement, you know, keynote hall, it's a I don't know, like an arena, like where they do shows and things, mm-hmm. and it's you're surrounded by by twenty thousand people watching a stage. That was massive. And then, you know, giant show floor for all the vendors and the usual games and whatever bizarre things happening on a conference show floor, but a good vibe. It seemed like there was a uh, a different vibe this year than at least some of the media reports from the last few years of, hey, is VMware going to survive containers? Is VMware going to survive Amazon? Is VMware just dead man walking? And instead, you really walked out of the show going, gosh, they may have figured this out. Like, mm-hmm. they may have figured out how to play in a cloud world. They may have figured out how to not compete with containers, but complement some of that. And even showing off some of their tooling, I think some of my visual experience of the VMware tooling is a little old because they were showing some of the newer capabilities and like, that's a good user interface. That doesn't look like a mess at all. So it seems like the company's really doing some interesting stuff. So it, it seemed to be reflected in the show where the vibe was good. The people walking around, a lot of chatter, a lot of activity, people, you know, sessions were full up to the last day. So it was a good show. It's Vegas, Mandalay Bay, out in the middle of middle of nowhere at the end of the strip. But it, uh, it seemed, again had a great crowd, lots of topics. You know, people covering infrastructure and network, and then this quirky pivotal company talking about apps and continuous delivery and stuff. I thought that was a a nice change of pace. Mm, Mandalay Bay. I haven't been there in a long time. I used to go there all the time. That's no. the one where they have uh, they have uh, you walking along the hallway to the main conference center and all of a sudden there's this little uh, Tex-Mex restaurant or Mexican restaurant, right? Like just kind of creeps up on you. Maybe they don't have that there anymore. Yeah, I think that's right. And I was staying at the MGM for some pivotal meetings. So I was walking back and forth because I make, again, poor choices. And that was like 30 minutes door to door, even though yeah. they're inside of each other. No, it's true. So so we, I think I think the, the, the biggest announcement, as we were talking about earlier, that we had there was uh, was the pivotal mm-hmm. container service, PKS. And uh, right. now, 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 correct me where I get the my facts wrong, but and then I'll have to go back and talk to all those people at DevOps Days London that I talked to. I'll uh, I'll have to write them a letter, maybe send it to the authorities over there to distribute. But if if I got something wrong, but basically you got uh, essentially it's the idea of like here's here's a Kubernetes distribution. I don't know if that's what people say in the Kubernetes word, but world, but. The the current instantiation of it, which won't be released till the end of the year, so it's just an announcement right. of of a thing, is that right. it uses uh, the VMware stack. So it's got the NSX networking thing, and then uh, running on, I guess, I don't know what they call it nowadays, because, but whatever, oh, whatever, V-Sphere. yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. V, that's what I was gonna say. Oh, there you go. Whatever vSphere is, and, <laughs> and I think it has integrations with the vRealize like systems management and monitoring stack, but. Uh, Essentially, the idea is that you use Bosch, which is the people listening to this probably know what that is, but it's the the configuration management and provisioning and 
and in a good way, rudimentary health check management, like restarting things and making sure they're healthy and making sure everything's mm-hmm. running running like it should. It doesn't do, you know, like complex APM stuff, but whatever. Uh, but it basically uses right. Bar- Bosch to deploy and manage the Kubernetes cluster that you have. Uh, with the idea mm-hmm. that, like, if you want to, if you want to run containers and run Kubernetes, now you can do it in uh, in the pivotal cloud foundry stack, if you will, uh, using the full the full power and functionality of of all the VMware stuff underneath, which hopefully means that uh, it's it's reliable and and uh, you know that it's it's a reliable distro that we have, and that it kind of fits into the way that most large enterprises want to be managing things uh, and using their existing VMware knowledge and and all of that stuff. And so I think I think I think at the at, you know to distinguish between existing Pivotal Cloud Foundry, we have the uh, the Elastic Runtime, which unless you get mm-hmm. a deep dive into Pivotal Cloud Foundry, you don't encounter very much, but the ERT, which sounds highly medical, I guess like an ER or something, or uh, whatever that thing is that checks your heart rate. Uh, and uh, so that is sort of like distinguished as the Quote, I'm doing air quotes here. Traditional Pivotal mm-hmm. Cloud Foundry thing that will run alongside that for all of your uh, your cloud native applications and your 12 factor stuff and things like that. And then if if you want to run things in more of a container oriented way, or if you know they're they're heavier stateful applications, services, or, or whatever, now there's sort of like this peer to run, and so you like got, got all your bases covered for the way that you want to run and manage all your uh, your various applications. And then also, I guess I left off that it runs on. Uh, Google's cloud. And and by virtue of that, I don't have the laundry list of stuff, but it's got the like, what, five or eight sort of uh, various Google cloud services that get integrated into it, which, which, you know, I would expect that just like we do with Pivotal Cloud Foundry, it would run on other platforms sometime in the future, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. But I think it uh, it sort of fits with the whole uh, bent of, of what we've been doing with Pivotal Cloud Foundry, which is like, Here's your centralized way of running your applications, and there's various ways now that you can uh, package things up to run into there. But it basically just gives you a uh, application platform, if you will, or platform as we mm-hmm. would just say, and then runs on all of these uh, these multiple clouds. I guess I guess just two at the moment, but then nicely it gives you uh, uh, what would be the word? It, it gives you as much portability as you could hope for across different types of infrastructure, which. Uh, which which seems like what people want. How did I get? Did I get that right? Yeah, that's that a shockingly uh, well done <laughs> explanation of it. <laughs> that was good for someone not being there, sitting through uh, ninety briefings like I've been going through the last months. That was that was really well done. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, well said. I think that it's important to go back and though say like why, you know, is this because pivotal just missed the boat on other stuff and now we're, we're kind of hat in hand going oh no shoot i guess we'll offer kubernetes now like, i don't think that's it at all so this came down to pivotal is good i think we've proven that we're good at industrializing open source meaning making open source operable secure you know just running cloud foundry from the open source repo that's work right to bundle it to patch it to secure it to deploy it you know most people don't do that they run the distribution of it that takes care of it, like what Pivotal does. And we do that with Spring, and we do that with all these sorts of things to try to make it easier to run open source. And so we've solved a bit of that Pivotal, you know, 12-factor app use case, right? We've done a good job of that. We've kind of addressed that, built a great tool chain. But as our customers said, look, it's also, we're running these other things. As you're, the survey we talked about above, people are starting to run other things, but the maturity of the tooling isn't there. And so how do you make it simpler for enterprise to now add 
something like Kubernetes for stateful workloads or other types of apps or whatever, even 12-factor apps, doesn't matter. How do we make it easier for them to run those? And so taking existing software that we've built, like Bosch, like Kubo, which builds on Bosch, like NSX, like Google Cloud, like these pieces, Wavefront, Harbor, and combining them into a product, we're good at that. We've, I think we've proven we do well at that. So this is more of an exercise of Pivotal trying to make sure that we can eventually run 100% of the apps that you have. And not saying that ERT isn't the right choice for a number of apps. It is. It's still the preferred way to run cloud-native apps. But that as you have other types of applications, or even as you want to you know, have different divisions who don't use Cloud Foundry, how can I at least have the same operational tool chain for the whole thing? So I'm using Bosch. I'm using stem cells. I'm using all these components, whether I'm using Kubernetes or whether I'm using Elastic Runtime or any of these, we're making it easy. Now, what's been unique here, because Kubernetes is not an unsolved problem. There's whatever, 50 different variations people have done on this. I think why Google was excited about this work was we're doing vanilla Kubernetes here. This is not a distribution of Kubernetes. This is open source Kubernetes that we are making easier to operate. So it's not draped in customizations that lead to like a six-month lag before the customer actually gets their hands on it because the vendor has to munge it all together with their stuff and their customizations. Nope. We, uh, you know, Sam Ramji was on stage from Google saying, the thing that's exciting here is this constant compatibility, meaning that as Kubernetes is updated, it gets into PKS and there's virtually no lag. So you've got this constant compatibility with something like GKE, Google's hosted container engine, because you're going to constantly be up to date it's not necessarily something that's been forked or refactored or done anything with. So your portability is awesome. You know, you're getting access to the latest innovation and you're still getting it operated at enterprise scale by a company I think you trust to deliver security stuff. So all of that I think comes together of why Google would be on stage at a VMworld event, VMware event. That's not something that traditionally happens. But I think Pivotal and Google and VMware are saying we're taking existing products, we're combining them in a cool way. And we're solving a legit problem that's unaddressed in the market by doing something hopefully folks trust Pivotal to do. Yeah, yeah, you know the the, the uh, uh, to go on a little jag the uh, mm-hmm. the compatibility thing is interesting. I mean, that's it, been that's been you know it's, it's almost been almost been three years since I worked here, and then also when I was covering Pivotal as an analyst, a big theme was always uh, multi cloud, uh, and the um, I mean, I, I guess I guess the 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 negative. Uh, synonym of compatibility is lock-in, right? Like that's that's the thing you're sort of uh, avoiding the, when you have compatibility. Right. But it is it is sort of like a constant theme in building out whatever cloud native is, <laughs> cloud native platforms, and all of that is is uh, and it doesn't apply to all of them. But is this idea that you want to have portability and compatibility of of your application choices and I shouldn't say application choices of where you're running your applications and obviously as i was kind of alluding to earlier you know if you depend on something that's only available in a platform or some particular way that uh that you configure to it or use it then you've got to worry about that it's not always like you can just drag and drop something i don't even know if there is a drag and drop interface somewhere <laughs> there probably is for a fancy demo but you know those are always mildly ridiculous demos like that's going to happen um but right. uh you know i got i got my itel change request and now i'm going to use a mouse to drag and drop it and then close the ticket but um, amazing <laughs> <laughs> um but it is, it is like you know it, it, it makes me think that or sort of reflect on a general principle or i wonder if this is a principle of if you're kind of like a a, a planner type to go back several episodes whatever it is an enterprise architect is nowadays it seems like you would have a principle and you would say like, all right, this period we're in, 
there's a whole lot of different options of things to do, but we got to choose something, right? Like we've got to modernize how we do our application platform. So because there's so many choices out there, what we want to do is maximize our, our options for moving to different platforms in the future. So we want to have maximum compatibility, right? Like maybe we'll be running everything in Google or maybe Azure will have a container service or maybe we'll run it on premise. But we want to make sure that however we're packaging things up, we'll uh, be able to move around as much as possible, which seems like a good principle. And, and, you know, it'd be easy to say you always want to do that. But there's probably many situations where you don't always want to do that. Like, for example, uh, the late 2000s where VMware basically wins. And you're like, well, I guess I'll make everything into VMware images. And you know, <laughs> it's, it seems like essentially you uh, you settle down of uh, you know on, on on what it is you want to do. But at this period, if you're doing some sort of application development based on container stuff, then uh, you want to have sort of like maximum compatibility. This and and I think I think with our stack and and then also by nature with uh, with a Google stack or a VMware stack and 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 working back to stuff we've already announced, you know, a Microsoft stack. I think I think. People should have pretty good feels about the compatibility across those uh, across those different pools of air of ecosystems, if you will. Uh, to, That's right. To cover your bases there. So then, then also, like, I mean, you know, I know, uh, I know, because you're always tweeting about how excited you are about it. Like you and I and other people read uh, the sort of <laughs> the sort of weekly field reports, and man. Like there is, there's like a lot of interest for this thing only being out two weeks. Like I, di- I didn't go Holy through cow. and search for uh, instances of PKS. Not like I would report on that here, but uh, yeah, <laughs> like there was a lot of people who uh, wanted to get briefed or have been briefed. You know, customers and prospects we have at large organizations. So it is, it's uh, you know, like obviously for if you listen to my other podcast, Software Defined Talk, like. St- these container things have been a big deal for a while and, and Kubernetes and everything. So obviously there's interest, but there's uh, even more interest uh, out there in the field than, than I would expect there to be. And part of that I think is, you know, uh, uh, it's a testament to how many people out in the field we have engaging all the time, pivotal people, but mm-hmm. still there's a huge pull for it, which uh, it'll be, it'll be nice over the next six months, even if not longer to see, see how, uh, how this stuff pans out. And I think, I think what's, what's particularly interesting. So like one of the things I, I've, I've, I, I like about about being a pivotal is you get to go talk to these large organizations and just see what they're doing <laughs> with with all right. with all this technology and it'll be it'll be fun to see what they do with uh, with Kubernetes and containers and how they divide things out and and it's uh, it's a good what do they call it in economics a natural experiment of how uh, how this technology gets used but yeah there's tons of interest yeah it's been now I've been following that as well. And what's been interesting, too, is it comes from a lot of our existing customers who say, look, this is more workloads we can run with you now. and We like the model. and We like the pivotal way. And, and now you give us more choices. And it's also candidly come from a number of places that didn't really click with Cloud Foundry Elastic Runtime and then calls back in going, yeah, you know, we like this idea to be able to use straight up Kubernetes without all the accoutrements and instead just operate it at scale in a way that doesn't require a 50 person operations team. That sounds really appealing. So coming from lots of different dimensions, it's exciting stuff. I mean, it's not unrealistic that 12 months from now, no one makes more revenue from Kubernetes than Pivotal. Like mm-hmm. it's just, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Bold we pr- right, we'll have to save that great. up, save that up for a predictions episode come uh, December or something. Yeah, there you that, go. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, it is interesting. It's sort of like, uh, it's like you got the automatic transition and you got the stick transition choose whichever one you like <laughs> i uh i that's right i always choose automatic because i don't know how to drive that other one although i hear they have paddles nowadays which uh 
you know, paddle shifting, which that sounds like more my speed, so to speak. Maybe that would yeah. work. You use those the first day you buy the car, and then you never use them again. Mm, yeah, that's right. Both of my cars have those in it, and uh, it is kind of a weird <laughs> vestigial feature. It's it's like that second mm-hmm. gear thing. Like, what is that for? Like when you're driving across the Rockies yeah. or something? I don't know. It does remind me I had dinner with uh, with with uh, that friend of mine in London, and his how old was his kid? Fourteen. They said that uh, he got to go on the closed track as a fourteen-year-old and drive a Ferrari, which is kind of interesting that they have that going on. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to look into see if they have it's that for life. my seven-year-old. My daughter just turned four. Maybe <laughs> she right. qualifies. Bring some phone books. <laughs> well, then also we mentioned just to, just to mention <laughs> it br- just to mention it briefly before we close out. Also, uh, also VMware completed moving its uh, its v- its vCloud Air stuff to AWS. So. There's yet another option if you want to run your your VMware stuff on AWS. They have that they have that finished out. Did you did you see anything about that while you were at the show? Yeah, I mean they've still got the vCloud network. I think of partners. Some of this was the v, VMware cloud management thing, the VMC on AWS, saying how do I manage AWS as well as my on-prem VMware assets? And so they showed off some really actually impressive demonstrations of building out these environments, managing them, connecting them. You know, this was did not look like a superficial integration. This looked like legitimate multi-cloud provisioning and management. So if you care about that from an infrastructure perspective, if you're still kind of managing infrastructure versus apps, which is probably most people, uh, it, it looked pretty compelling. And if you're Amazon, this is a great way to start pulling in some of those workloads that might not have been on a fast path or uh, fast track to AWS. And if you're VMware, all of a sudden you have a legitimate way to actually stripe management across multiple infrastructure environments, which frankly, most in the multi-cloud space haven't really done in a great way. So, you know, I, I saw this fairly compelling and it's done. And I think it's just available in Oregon. So I guess they're just trying it out on those those characters, but it'll expand to other regions over these coming months. Just available in Oregon. That that is a part I read that was uh, that was kind of funny, but you know, you experiment with it and expand it out. It's it's, it's a new that's way right. to do stuff. Well, yeah. uh, I think that I think that's it for our coverage here. I think uh, it'll it'll be fun. It'll be fun ongoing. We'll have we're going to uh, schedule the um, what would you call her the product manager the uh, the, the product person uh, Cornelia from uh, PKS at some point to come talk with us some point soon about that. So we'll get more details on it. And uh, by that time, we'll see how much more interest there are and, and things fleshed out there. But but that'll be good. Mm-hmm. So as always, this has been Pivotal Conversations. If you want to go browse pre- previous episodes, find the RSS feed for this. The best place to go is soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations with no space. You can also, uh, usually about every Thursday, if uh, if I'm doing my job correctly, we, form- we post a formal version with full show notes and everything over at uh, pivotal.io slash podcast, which you can find. And there's just a little little uh, thing, uh, you know. We're coming up on uh, December, where we have our Spring One platform. I think I think we're kind of close. I think maybe the CFP closed a couple weeks ago, or last week, or something, or maybe it's closing now, sometime. In it did September. just close. Yeah. There you go. As always, I'm I'm on top of these things. But uh, <laughs> the 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 sessions are looking pretty good, and there's even some debates over which uh, sessions to have. Some little some little uh, CFP fighting going on, which which is encouraging. But if you're interested in that, you should check it out at uh, Spring IO. That's Spring IO. Spring Spring One Platform IO, and uh, you can use the code S1P200 underscore Cote because every now and then you should revisit the underscore character to get, as you you might guess, two hundred dollars off. Uh, and, yeah, and the, uh, 
the price jumps up, I think, on the 17th or 18th. So if you're listening to this this uh, week of September, jump on now. And the main stage is looking amazing. We're putting it together right now. The number of customers speaking, the spring presentations, it's really going to be a uh, be something special, so it's time to book it. Yeah, it will. It will be nice, and I think there's there's some uh, there's all sorts of tracks going on. I got the DevOps track that I'm helping out with in continuous integration, and there's the uh, I think it has some title like the transformation track, but it's like have all the business manager people come talk <laughs> about how they change their organization over, and you, of course you've got Spring and Cloud Foundry and, and things like that, and there'll probably be uh, you know several sessions about PKS and other things like that. So it'll be chock full mm-hmm. of good stuff over there at Moscone. West, if I if I remember, I don't know if it's you're right because uh, I think someone told me they're redoing North and South, so you're you're, you're over there in the West area. Nice, crisp, cool weather. And also, uh, if you, if you uh, catch this in time, I'm going to be at several DevOps days. I'll be in Latvia next week, and then Kansas City, and uh, at Nashville, some other places uh, that 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 I'm not remembering. But uh, you should definitely check out uh, over there at DevOpsDays.org. Pivotal people will be out at many of them if you're interested in talking more about these topics. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.